0: So we started off 2016, and um, we've only had two Sundays together, and some of you may not even realize, but we've kind of been in a, in a little series. It's like really just a three-part series, and, um, and what I want to do this morning is we're going to kind of wrap up uh, kind of how we've started the year. We're going to wrap up our series, but then we're also going to kind of introduce where we're going next. Some of you are scratching your heads, and you're like, I didn't even know we were in a series. It didn't feel like a series, and that's okay. Like What I want to do is recap kind of where we've been already this year. We've had two Sundays together. And in that first Sunday back together, uh, we were in Philippians chapter three together. And uh, David was looking, David was looking with us at Philippians chapter three where Paul talks about letting go of what's behind and leaning in to what God has for you, leaning into Jesus. You remember this? We had the red cards and the green cards and we all wrote down the things we were gonna let go of. And we dropped those in baskets at the communion table and then we held up those green cards of the things we wanna lean into this year, how we wanna lean into Jesus Uh, that's how we kind of started the year together then the next week Dave got up and gave us another word out of Matthew chapter 14 where we saw Jesus walking on the water and inviting Peter to get out of the boat and walk on the water with him and the 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 main message that that Dave gave us was hey listen Jesus invites us to participate in the kingdom adventure where are you going to step out of the boat this year Where are you gonna take a risk? Where are you gonna risk failing in order to be closer to Jesus and more in line with Jesus? And it's been this call as we start out the new year to really take stock and look ahead at 2016. What are we gonna lean into? What are we gonna step into? Where are we gonna participate in the kingdom adventure? And this morning, I wanna kind of wrap that up and point us forward by answering three simple questions. The three simple questions are simply this, the, the why, the when and the how. The why, the when and the how. So basically the why. Why are we starting our year off like this? Why are we starting 2016 with, with these three sermons? Why, what is, what is the goal, what's the point? The, the, the when, when does this start? Like, okay, we're leaning in, getting out of the boat. Like when, when does that actually start happening? And then the how is how does this happen? Practically, how, how does this begin to happen? Um, So that's kind of where we're going to go today. I'll just give you a heads up. We are going to spend the most of our time on that first question of why. And the bulk of our time together is going to be on that why. So when I get to the end of the why and you realize that I still have two more points to get through, don't be like, oh my goodness, I'm never going to get lunch today. It's like, that was the longest part. So when we get to the end of the why, we're actually almost done. Okay. Just to kind of give you a heads up. Um, We're going to be looking for the why in John 14. You know, it, there's a real simple, like kind of common sense answer to the why. And most of us would think, oh, we're starting 2016 looking ahead because that's what we do at the beginning of a new year, right? I mean, culturally, that's what we do. It's the time of new year's resolutions. We kind of start thinking like, I want to be a new me in 2016. I want, I want, I want to be a something different about me to make my life more meaningful this year. And our our world really gathers around that. Our culture gathers and rallies around this idea of New Year's resolutions, right? If you're in marketing, you know this is true. Because if you're in marketing, like New Year's resolution, man, especially if you're like in the fitness industry, January is like your bread and butter. You're like, yes. Like everybody's going to be signing up for gym memberships and buying new shoes or getting some kind of watch to track their fitness every day. And the, the, the consumer culture around us jumps on this idea of New Year's resolutions, trying to get people to buy their product, promising a new you in the new year. Well, that's not exactly why we started this way this year. You know, our, our goal has not been to give you a self-help guide. We're not trying to push or sell our product on you so that you can have a new you in the new year. That has not been our goal. The purpose of our last two weeks, the answer to that question of why, I believe, is found in, in John 14. I will to give you a heads up as we start going through John 14. Usually, um, at Ethos, the way we work through text is we read kind of a chunk of text, and we go through it verse by verse. We're not going to do that. John chapter 14 is kind of long, and we're going to go through pretty much the whole chapter. Uh, so I'm going to con- conversationally just walk us through the chapter this morning, and I want to give you a heads up. There are going to be times where you're kind of confused as to how is this answering the question of why. It might feel like You ever watched a movie where you're kind of like, how in the world is this gonna wrap up and get to the end? Like that movie Inception. How many of you guys have seen the movie Inception? You watch it and you're kind of like so confused. You're like, am I in his dream or that guy's dream? Like whose head am I in right now? Like that might be how it feels a little bit this morning. Trust me and stay with me as we work through John 14. I promise you we're gonna get to a place where we answer this question of why. So John 14 comes obviously on the heels of John 13. And in John 13, we find Jesus at the last supper with his 12 disciples, his 12 closest friends, this last supper that he was gonna have with them at the Passover, the last time he'd eat with them before he went to the cross and died. And in John 13, we see this picture of Jesus washing their feet. And then we see Judas Iscariot, one of his closest friends who gets up to leave the room because he's gonna go betray Jesus to his death. And Jesus is left in this room with 11 guys and he starts to talk with them. Now we've heard these words so many times, a lot of us, that we've kind of just gotten used to how weird some of these words sound, but I want you to imagine what it would have been like to be the disciples hearing some of the things that Jesus was saying to them. At the end of, of John chapter 13, he starts telling them, You know, he's like, I'm, I'll be with you only a little while longer. You'll look for me, and where I'm going, you cannot come. And it's like, What? Where are, you, where are you going? So they start kind of asking questions about this. And at the beginning of John chapter 14, he doesn't really clear it up at all. At the beginning of John chapter 14, Jesus looks at them and he says, Hey, don't be afraid. Don't let your hearts be troubled. I know I said I'm going away. Just trust in God. I'm, I'm going to my father's house. I'm going to prepare a place for you. And, and we've heard that so many times. We're like, wow, that's amazing. Jesus is going to his father's house. But if you were these 11 guys that had been side by side with the physical earth like Jesus every day for the last three years, it's kind of like, wait a minute, your father has a house? Like, where is this house? And how do we get there? Like, you can imagine the confusion they're probably feeling. And then he says in verse four, "'You know the place to where I'm going.'" And now they're like, wow, we have no idea what you're talking about. We didn't even know your father had a house. And so what we begin to see in the rest of chapter 14 is the disciples' confusion begins to come to the surface because they're gonna ask a series of three questions. And they're gonna be asking Jesus to clarify what in the world he's talking about. And it starts in verse five with Thomas. Thomas finally just looks at him. In verse five, he says, "Uh, "'Jesus, we don't know where you're going.'" How can we possibly know the way to get there? And Jesus looks at Thomas and he gives him this answer. He says, Thomas, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. From now on, you do know the Father and you have seen him. And you can imagine Thomas being like, What? <laughs> what, what? You're the way? Like, I'm supposed to just look at you and somehow get magical directions to get to your Father's house? Like, I, I don't know what you mean, Jesus. What do you mean that? you're the way. Where is this place? And where is your father? And how do we get there? And the, the confusion continues to come to the surface. And Philip finally chimes in. And in verse eight, Philip says, Lord, if you would just show us the father, if you would just show us the father, then that would be enough for us. I love this question the disciples are still gr- trying and grappling with what Jesus is saying to them about where he's going and showing his father and his father's house. And so Philip just says, Jesus, why don't you just show us? Like pull back the veil, show us the father. And Jesus says to him in verse nine, he says, Philip, don't you know me? Even after I've been among you such a long time, anyone who has seen me seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Don't you believe that I'm I'm in the Father and that that the Father is in me? The words that I'm saying to you, these are not just my own, but it is actually the Father living in me who is doing this work. And so Jesus is trying to reveal something to the the disciples. He's saying, guys, you've seen the Father. You've been with me i 'm showing you the way because the father 's in me and i 'm in the Father, and then he keeps going he makes it even better he says look here 's what 's going to happen i 'm going away, but don 't be troubled because i 'm going to send the Holy Spirit and later in chapter fourteen he starts talking about you will know the Holy Spirit because he 's in you the world doesn 't know him because the world can 't know him the world can 't see him, but you 're going to know him he 's in you, I will come, the holy Spirit 's coming like trust in me, and you can see maybe the disciples the wheels are starting to turn a little bit that There's something Jesus is talking about that's really good, but they still just don't quite get what he means. And then in verse 22, we see kind of the third disciple that steps forward and just kind of asks a question, asking for clarity. In verse 22, it says, then Judas, not Judas Iscariot, this poor Judas, like, you imagine? Like, how many of us actually even knew there was another Judas that was one of the 12? You know, this guy, we don't even know anything about him. All we know is that he's not Judas Iscariot. But anyway, it says, then Judas not Judas Iscariot, said, but Lord, why do you intend to show yourself to us and not to the world? I love this question. I read this, like, I think God gave me new eyes to see this question just a couple weeks ago when I opened up this text and started thinking about this talk. I love this question because it's just such a good and honest question. I think if we're all honest, it's probably a question we've all asked. I think Judas is grappling with it. He says, Jesus, listen, I get it. I, I know you want us to look to you and see the Father, but look around the room, Jesus. There's 11 of us. There's 11 of us. And you're saying that you're revealing the Father. That's, like, that's great news. We all want to see the Father, so why in the world are you only going to show him to us? 11, totally normal, unremarkable, random dudes in first century Palestine. Why are you just going to show the Father to us? Why not to the whole world? And I bet if we're honest, some of us have asked that very same question. God, God, if you are who you say you are, if you're as good as you say you are, and you're as big as you say you are, and as powerful and as loving, then why in the world won't you just show yourself to the whole world? I mean, if you are who the Bible says you are, then it would not be a big deal for you to like mount up on the sun and ride it like a chariot across the sky so that the whole world could see. God, if you're as good as you say you are, why don't you come to Nashville, stand at the Cumberland and make it stand up so that we could walk across into East Nashville on dry ground and have kombucha for everyone. Like, Lord, why in the world, why won't you do this? Why won't you show the whole world who you are? And instead, you only reveal yourself to 11 random guys in the first century, in the middle of nowhere Palestine. Why Jesus? And Jesus gives this beautiful answer to Judas. And when we first read it, you're gonna go, what, that's a good answer? Like, but just bear with me, listen to what he says. Verse 23, Jesus replied, If anyone loves me, he will obey my teaching. My Father will love him. Listen to this. We will come to him and make our home with him. You wanna know how the world is gonna see the Father, guys? This is what he's saying. Guys, listen. You've asked me to show you the Father, and I've said, hey, look at me, and you see the Father. You want the world to see me. Well, guess what? If you will love me and obey my teachings, Me and the Father will come and live in you. And just like you see the Father in me, the world is gonna see me through you. I love this. This is amazing. It's spectacular. I realized when I read it through and through and over and over again the last couple of weeks that Jesus, in response to Judas, is revealing his plan for how the world will come to know the goodness of God. And his plan is this simple. He says, it's gonna start with you 11 guys that I have walked with. And if you will love me, if you will obey my teaching, then me and the Father will come and live in you in a way that the world will see me through you. You 11 guys, my friends, my 11 faithful disciples, you are gonna change the world. You're gonna change the world because I'm gonna come live in you. I mean, this just sounds ridiculous. Can you imagine the disciples? like what the responses are standing there, like all of them responding according to kind of their personalities. Peter, I mean, Peter's just excited and ready to go. You know, he was the first one out of the boat, the only one out of the boat in the story from Matthew 14. So he's like listening to Jesus, like if not externally, he's like fist pumping in his heart, like, yeah, I'm part of changing the world, Jesus. I'm ready, I'm ready. Then he got James and John who are probably like arguing. They're excited but they're kind of arguing with each other over who's gonna get more of the Father in their heart. Like, I think I'm gonna be the one to get a little more. Thomas is in the corner going, this is never gonna work. This is never gonna work. And I'm with Thomas. It sounds like a ludicrous idea that Jesus would change the world with 11 normal guys. And we place the disciples on a pedestal sometimes, but they were fishermen and tax collectors, like normal people. And Jesus said he's gonna change the world with these 11 guys. And Jesus is revealing his goal, his picture of how the world will come to know him. It's through these guys, and I love this. You know, it sounds unbelievable to us, and yet what we have is the advantage of seeing that this actually worked. So, So just a few chapters later, if you go in your Bible, you come to Acts chapter one, and in Acts chapter one, it's just been a few weeks since Jesus was killed and resurrected and we find that the disciples are gathered and now there's about 120 of them. So it starts with these 11 guys in this room and then in Acts chapter one, we see there's 120 people gathered all following the way of Jesus. And historically, when you map out the rise of Christianity in real time history, real world history, this movement of Jesus went from 120 people in the first century to being three million people by the beginning, by the very beginning of the fourth century. 120 to three million by the beginning of the fourth century. Now, some of you are going, well, that's like 300 years. That doesn't seem that big of a deal. Well, let me tell you what kind of growth you would have to experience in 300 years to grow that much. It's the equivalent of having 40% growth rate per decade sustained for 300 years. Now, those of you who are like entrepreneurial in the way that you think and think about, what an amazing business plan. (laughs) Like, what kind of business could I start today that would grow by 10% for every decade? I mean, 40% by every decade for the next 300 years. Man, I'm in, sign me up, I'll invest in that. That's incredible. It's an incredible strategy. Jesus was not living in an unreal expectation. Jesus was a brilliant strategist. He said, we're gonna change the world, guys, and it's gonna start with you, Eleven. If you will simply love me and obey my teaching, we're gonna change the world. It's gonna start with you guys. See, the goal, I told you we're gonna get to this answer of why, why are we talking about us in 2016 and leaning in and getting out of the boat? What is the goal? Why are we spending our time talking about this? Because the goal is the world. The goal is the world. It's always been the goal. And those 11 shouldn't have been surprised by it. We shouldn't really be surprised by it. But the 11, you know, it shouldn't shouldn't have been surprised. Look what Jesus says in verse 24. At the end of verse 24, it says, these words that you hear, they are not my own. They belong to the Father who sent me. You see, this is the Father's vision. It's the Father's plan. It's what the Father has been aiming to do from the very beginning. God longs to fill the world with his goodness, with his glory, with his love, with his light. This is the goal at the very beginning in Genesis when God creates everything. He creates the land and the sea and the birds and the fish and the animals and the plants and the trees, everything he creates. And at the pinnacle of his creation, he creates humanity. And he says, this is very good. And he does something special for humanity that he does for no other part of creation. It says he creates us in his image. And then in chapter one, verse 28 of Genesis, it says that he blesses them. He says, go and be fruitful and multiply. Multiply what? Multiply the image of God. Multiply the goodness of God until it fills the earth so that the whole world can see how great and how wonderful our God is. The world is the goal. And here's what's amazing. That goal has not changed. 2,000 years ago, Jesus stood in a room with 11 men and he told them, listen, guys, I am gonna show the world and I'm gonna do it through you. Jesus still says, hey, listen, I want the world to know that there's a God who loves them immensely, who will spare no expense to make sure they know they have a Father that has created them and calls them and loves them. The world is still the goal. And this is what I love the most is that the world is the goal. Jesus' goal has not changed. And guess what? His methods have not changed either. Just like he looked at those 11 and said, hey, you guys are gonna change the world. He stands before us today. He looks at us, he says, hey, do you wanna change the world with me? I have a plan for this entire world, the whole globe, every nation, every tribe, every language, every culture to come to know the goodness of God. And I'm gonna do it through you, each of you. You are gonna be my method for making sure that the world knows the goodness of God. And so the goal of us starting our year with talking about leaning in and getting out of the boat, it is is not for the simple purpose of self-improvement. The goal of all this is nothing short than the glory of God being put on display for all the world to see through you and through me. Just as the disciples got to see the Father when they looked at Jesus, so also ethos, will the world see Jesus when they look at us? Jesus invites us in for the sake of the world, for the glory of God filling the world so that all can know the God who loves them. Our purpose ethos is so much bigger than self-improvement. I mean, it's a, it's a perk, honestly. Like the Lord transforms us. We get a better life with Jesus. Jesus. We get a better heart, we get a new heart, we get freedom from sin, we get freedom from shame and guilt, we get freedom from all the things, our insecurities, the things that bog us down, but that is just one part of the journey because he frees us to go and do and be something different that points to someone beyond us. He frees us so that the light and the love of God can flow through us into a world of darkness that so desperately needs to know that there's a God of light that loves them. We get to play in that. We get to play a role in that. We get to play a part, and it begins right here. It begins here on Sundays. It begins in your home. And then it goes out into your neighborhood to the neighbors around you. It goes into your workplace with your coworkers and into your classroom with your classmates. And it it goes beyond all of that into all of our city. And then it goes beyond our city so that all of Tennessee would know the glory of God. It goes beyond Tennessee to the borders of our nation until the arms of God's love have reached entirely around the globe so that all can know the God who loves them. This is what we get to be a part of. It's incredible. This is the goal, not mere self-improvement, but global improvement, that the kingdom of God would come into earth as it is in heaven. Now, I know that all of us sitting in here, we're going to have a myriad of responses to something like this. You know, some of us, when we hear a big dream, a big vision, something like this, just the way God wired us, that we get fired up, you know we get fired up and we feel passion and we get excited and some of you are sitting there going yes yes sign me up i'm ready to charge the hill i don't know where the hill is but sign me up i'm ready for it you know i think about my good friend and brother michael faria sitting up here whenever he gets excited about the gospel he'll actually like fist his, uh, pump his fist and be like jesus like he just shouts and gets there's a lot of and you might be able to tell like i'm i'm one of those people too like i get excited so some of you are sitting like Coming unglued out of your chair, ready to charge the hill, just waiting to be pointed to what the hill is. And yet some of you, some of us are sitting here going, I can't even balance my own checkbook or manage my weekly calendar. Like, how in the world do you expect me to change the world? And then others, if we're not careful, we will dismiss this kind of talk as just simply grandiose language to get us fired up about our own personal religion. But here's the thing. Jesus said this to 11 dudes 2,000 years ago. This, this vision for the world is grandiose, but it is not absurd. Jesus said it to 11 guys who probably had the same mixture of responses we do. Excitement, fear, nervousness, uncertainty, doubt, all the things that we experienced, those 11 guys experienced. And Jesus said to them, nope, you're gonna change the world. And now he stands before us, like Jesus. I'm not saying I'm not, I'm not, Jesus speaks to us out of his word, all of us. And he says, ethos, listen, I want to change the world through you. Across our campus today, just across all three gatherings at at the cannery, Jesus is going to speak to 1,200 of us and say, hey guys, I want to change the world with you if you'll love me and obey my teaching. We're gonna change the world for the sake of God's love and God's glory. It's grandiose, but it's not absurd because it comes from Jesus and it's Jesus' plan. And he wants to use all of us. The great thing about, I believe Jesus addresses all of us no matter what our response is. If you look in verse 25. He starts talking to his disciples. He can see the response, the emotional response they're having to what he said to them is that I'm gonna come live in you and the world is gonna see me through you. In verse 25, he says, all of this, I've spoken while I'm still with you, but the counselor, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything that I have said to you. Peace, I leave with you. My peace, I give you. I, I don't give as the world gives. So don't let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. I think he looks at those of us who are full of zeal and full of passion. He says, hey, that's great. I love your zeal. I love your passion. But make sure you stay in step with the Spirit because this is not your job. You are not going to change the world. The world will be changed by Christ in you. The world will be changed by the Spirit living in you. Zeal is good, don't hear me saying, like, don't be zealous. But Paul, in his letter to the Romans, he says, never be lacking in zeal. In chapter 12, never be lacking in zeal. And yet we find also in the Bible, in the book of Proverbs chapter 19, this word, it says, it is not good to have zeal without prudence or wisdom or knowledge, nor is it good to be hasty and miss the way. And so if you're one of the people that's sitting here this morning, like, all right, sign me up. What do I gotta do? Like, trust in the Lord. And the simple steps that he gives us just like he gives everyone else are love me and obey my teaching, (laughs) love me and obey my teaching and know that the Holy Spirit is going to guide you. It's his work. Let him work in you. And for those of us who might get nervous or overwhelmed about this idea, this grandiose idea that we as a church get to change the world in partnership with the rest of God's kingdom, he says, listen, my peace I give you, I'm not sharing this with you to overwhelm you or scare you or give you anxiety or make you feel like you're not doing enough no, Jesus says, hey, my don't be troubled. My peace I give you. I want my peace to rest on you. Don't be anxious about this. Walk in my peace. My spirit is coming. Just trust me. He says, do these two things. Love me and obey my teachings. Love me and obey my teachings. So the why, why did we start 2016 this way? Much bigger than just personal New Year's resolutions. I almost said a revolution, that'd be better. It's a New Year's revolution, not a New Year's resolution. We wanna start a revolution to change the world. That is why we started this year the way that we did. Because I really do believe, Ethos, that Jesus stands, wants to stand before us and say, church, my my brothers, my sisters, children of God, will you love me and obey my teaching? Because if you will, then I and the Father will come and live in you and the world will see me in you and you will change the world. That's the why, that's the why. Now, the second question of when, when does this start? Three weeks in a row, you've had crazy guys stand up in front of you and talk about changing the world and getting out of the boats and leaning in. Like, when does this start? And this is the simplest point of the whole sermon. When is very simple, it starts right now. Some of you are going, wait a minute, how how does it start right now? It starts right now by loving Jesus, and obeying his teachings, loving Jesus, obeying his teachings. So it starts right now as you listen to this and are challenged whether or not you could really play a role in something that changes your neighborhood, something that changes our city or the world. It starts right now and really believing Jesus in that. It starts right now as you leave this place and you go back into your neighborhood's It starts tomorrow morning when your alarm clock goes off and you decide how you're going to start your day. It starts as you go into work or to school or when you're at home with your kids. It it starts today and it continues tomorrow and it continues the day after that and the next day and the next day. It starts right now. You see, this, this process of changing the world, it's not something that only the radical get to be a part of. It's something that Jesus does when normal, Every day, unremarkable people just like us will love him and obey his teachings. That's how it starts. So it starts today. It starts today. Now the third question, it starts with the why. The why, because Jesus wants to change the world. He is changing the world and he invites us into it. The when, it starts right now, starts today. Now the how, this is kind of the question we're all kind of thinking about. Okay, I get it, I wanna be excited, but how does this work? How does this actually happen? where Jesus changes the world through us. And, you know, this is what, I, what we've kind of realized is that it is such a normal thing that we can't stand up here on a Sunday and give you a clear, like, package of, okay, here's how, go and do these steps and the world will be changed. That's not really the way it works. And so what we wanna do for the next five months is every Sunday, we wanna get up here and give you practical ways that following Jesus begins to work out in your life. We're gonna call it everyday discipleship. We're going to talk about everyday discipleship and what was going through our minds was how do we teach our church in such a way that what we do on Sunday directly changes what happens on Monday morning. And so we're going to dive in in depth for five months answering this question of how. What are the practical things that I can do to love Jesus and obey his teachings and to be a part of the movement that he started in this world? How does this work for me? I'm just a fill in the blank. I'm just a stay-at-home mom. I'm just an accountant. I'm just a web designer. I'm just a doctor. I'm just a nurse. I'm just a lawyer. I just work part-time as a barista. I'm just whatever, fill in the blank. We wanna help you see how you, me, us, ordinary people get to participate in this. So for five months, that's what we wanna do, and it's gonna look different for all of us. It's gonna look different for each one of us. And that's the beauty of this, right? Right? All of us are at different places on the journey. And yet Jesus wants to engage all of us where we are on the journey. And so for some of us this year, what this means is that it is just gonna be us wanting to spend more time with Jesus and spending more time with him. This is what it'll be this year. Something that simple. I love it after John chapter 14, you get to John 15 and Jesus starts talking about this idea of the vine. He starts telling his followers that, hey, listen, if you wanna bear fruit... AKA, if you want to change the world, then stay near to me. Abide in me. Remain in me. All through chapter 15, he keeps saying this over and over again. And so some of you are going, How does spending time with Jesus change the world? Because spending time with Jesus changes you. And when you are changed, those around you will be changed, and that's the way the world has changed. And so for some, it's going to be simply learning to be shaped by prayer this year, letting prayer shape you deeply praying the way that Jesus taught us to pray and allowing that to change you, to change the way you live. For some of us, it's going to mean more time with this, developing a love and a heart for God's word. I love it. I got a call from a good friend last night. I mean, a grown man, he's been following Jesus most of his life. And he called me last night and just said, hey, I I want to do better at following Jesus in the word. Like, how does this work? How... How can I set up intentional things in my life so that I will start to love the word more? That's what this is. That's what this looks like. It's that practical. For some of you, it'll be taking what you hear in sermons here, not just writing them down in your journal, but actually spending time during the week reflecting and asking God to work something out of you. So so for some of us, it will be spending more time with Jesus. I mean, being more intentional. For some of us this year, though, it's going to be learning Learning how to love others more and learning how to allow ourselves to be loved more. It's a hard thing to do. And yet I think this year, that's the way Jesus is gonna grow some of us to partner with him in his mission. And so for some of you, this may mean joining a house church for the first time. Maybe you've been nervous to step into a group that small because you have to be vulnerable and be known. And you're afraid to be fully known or you're afraid to really love others the way that you should. And so Jesus is saying, hey, this year, this is how your life is gonna change and thus change the world because you are going to learn to love others in a way that you never had before through a house church. A couple of weeks ago, I loved it. Uh, one of our brothers here at the 11, David Darnauer, came up to me and said, hey, we've got this idea. Like, what if we started lunch groups after the 11 o'clock? And I was like, tell me what you mean. And he said, well, you know, every Sunday I meet people who have been here for weeks and months and yet still have not gotten connected. And so what if we, we started going to lunch every week after the 11? And it just invited people, hey, if you want to meet people from Ethos, you can come to the farmer's market every Sunday after the 11 o'clock and there'll be people from Ethos just hanging out and having lunch. I was like, I love that. That's so normal. That's so easy. And yet that is the way that God will work through us to change the world. And so listen to me, next week, February 7th, if you're sitting in this room and you've been coming or maybe it's your first time here and it's hard to meet new people with this many people in a room this size, David and his friends are gonna be hosting lunch at the farm, farmer's market. Starting next week, every Sunday for the month of February, they're gonna be going, and one of them will be standing in the back at the, after the 11 next week. They'll stand in the back to kind of, if you want directions for how to get there, or where it is, it's seven minutes from here, super easy to get there. There's lots of different options for food. And so maybe this way, maybe this year, the way God changes you and invites you into the mission is that you start to get to know others simply by the act of going to lunch with your brothers and sisters after worship. So for some, it's gonna be more time with Jesus this year. For some, it's gonna be allowing God to work in you to love others and to allow yourself to be loved. And then for others this year, it's gonna be become, becoming more aware of the world out there. In 2016, some of us are gonna join in this mission because God is gonna to start to open our eyes to the world beyond our walls, And I mean the world around the cannery, so the neighborhoods around us. But I also just mean the broader world, the global world. I think this year God wants to open our eyes as a church to the places in the world where he is needed. The places in the world that seem difficult, the places of injustice and suffering and pain, And sometimes we shy away because we don't have the answers. And I think this year, God wants to call us as a church to be aware of those places, not because we have the answers and we can fix it, but because we know the God that does and the God that can. I think this year, he wants to open our eyes to some of those things. And so as leadership, we're trying to figure out ways that we can help ourselves as a church body start partnering with God more in prayer for the sake of the world. For some of us, it's going to mean that you're spending more time with your neighbors. Like you're intentionally gonna get to know your neighbors that don't know Jesus. And this is for everyone. I know sometimes we think global. How does this, you know, just last week, we were supposed to pray over one of our sisters, Crystal Melton. She is, I mean, she's normal. She's totally normal. She's a stay-at-home homeschooling mom. (laughs) Like she used to be a cosmetologist. Now she stays at home with her kids and teaches them homeschooling. She left this week to go to Cambodia to work with women who've been rescued from sex trafficking. She's been doing it for eight years. Totally normal woman. And yet partnering with God in the world, and that won't be what it looks like for all of us, but for some of us, it will. God will make you aware of things out there and he's gonna put it on your hearts to go and do something about it in partnership with him. So the how, I wanted to devote five months to unpacking this. Those are just simple things of how it might look for you this year. Pressing more into Jesus, loving one another, learning to be loved by one another better this year. For some, becoming more aware of the world out there. Now, we always wrap up our time in the Word together with communion. We take this little piece of bread and we take this little cup every single week. And this week, I want to remind us, this is deeply connected to what we're talking about today. The why, you know, for the sake of the world. The when, right now, right here, the how. We're going to unpack that. And as we go to communion, I don't want us to forget this is a part of that. It really does start right now. I love this, this what, what Paul says about communion. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 26, Paul says this. He says, whenever you eat this bread, whenever you drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And so this morning, the way that we start this is we come to the table, we take this bread, we take this cup, we, true, we choose to trust Jesus. We choose to trust him. That when he said, if you will love me, and obey my teachings, and I'll make my home in you, and the world will see the Father through you. And it begins with this. So I'm going to pray for us. I want us to all go take the bread, take the cup, and know that just taking this little piece of bread and drinking this cup is the first step today to partnering with Jesus and changing the world as we proclaim his death, burial, and resurrection. Let's pray.